Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another VRL USA podcast. This is Alan and I'm here with Zach. Um, we've got a busy week coming up, don't we? We, we, uh, Played Real Madrid to a nil-nil draw. We have Granada um, early Saturday morning, my time. And then we have a big match against Juventus. So big week ahead of us, isn't it? Big week, and we've officially entered that phase of the season where knowing what Unai Emery is going to do lineup-wise will be completely impossible because once he starts rotating for Europe, I have no idea what he's thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, and, of course, we, we had the injuries um, that have meant that we've, we've had a fairly interesting lineup against, uh, against Madrid. And I, I, I was, I guess, um, you know, whatever has been wrong with Paco must still be wrong with Paco because I was surprised that given our lack of um, forwards that we didn't have him out there. I mean, what, what did what did you think of our attempt to play the players we did where we played them? I, I think even if you decide that you can't put Paco at the top, putting Danjuma as a single striker was absolutely the wrong decision because it completely wastes everything that he's best at. Um, you know, it, uh, the best chance he had um, was where it was one where he waited for the ball to land on him and he had three Madrid players around him and he got it off the post, but that was the best he could really get on it. But he never really had the ball in space much at all. And mm-hmm. I think you would have been better putting him over on the left and putting somebody like Chigueros as like a false nine and running it that way instead of the way he did it. Yeah, I I thought it was a curious lineup and it didn't, um, for all that, it was an interesting match because it felt like, I think most of us watching it, felt like we played a lot better than the expected goals said we did. <laughs> um <laughs> because most of us were like, Oh, wow. You know, we could have, we could have won that game or, you know, whatever. And, and, um, the, I think the expected goals on, on a, were what 0.4 or something for us. And we, and, and most of that came from, from the um, play you just mentioned. So, well, I, I think what that boils down to though is one, I mean, we really, we really took a beating in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the first half, while we were dictating play a lot and keeping uh, their defense on their toes, we really weren't getting any clean looks at the goal Um, because Carlo Ancelotti, as we saw, if you watched their their match uh, earlier in the week against PSG, even when he's coaching Real Madrid, he's got no problem just sitting back and chilling defensively mm-hmm. uh, if his team doesn't have a lot of possession. And that's basically what they did in the first half. And mm-hmm. then once we'd punched ourselves out, he went on the attack and 
you know, it got dicey the whole rest of the way. But. Right. Right. And I think, um, you know, we have to, I mean, uh, Ruley made several fine saves to, to, uh, to keep it scoreless. And so in that sense, I mean, we were unfortunate, I guess, not to create more and, and, uh, without Gerard or without Danjuma cutting in from the wing, we didn't have the ability to, to break down that defense, but, but boy, toward the end of the game, we were hanging on by our fingernails. But, but let me tell you what though, Gio Lo Celso was an absolute revelation in that game. I mean, he was, he was incredible. And if he plays like that the whole rest of the season, I feel a whole lot better about our chances of finishing in the European spots and possibly even nicking a top four spot out of this league. Yes, I agree. I think, and even in the little cameo that he had the, the, um, when he, when he first joined us, I thought that he, I thought that he added a lot. And, and so it was, yeah, he, he looked really good against, um, against Madrid. So, okay. So Granada, we don't really know what to expect in terms of, in terms of lineup. Um, you know, tough, one of those matches that, on paper, we ought to be able to win it, um, but it's kind of a trap game in that it's coming before Juventus, and it's also a match where, eh, you know, Granada are one of those teams that are better on paper than their than their record indicates. So, well, they've just been absolutely lousy lately, and um, but it's one of those things. I don't know. I guess you watch enough Real games and you kind of get this impending sense of if somebody's been playing terrible for weeks, then obviously they're going to get that right when they, you know, come and play against us. Um, But I mean, they've been really bad lately. And I think it's been something like 11 straight matches that they haven't beaten Villarreal. Um, So unless something scurry happens, this just should not be a game that we lose for any reason whatsoever. Okay. I hope you're right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, like I said, like I said, I, that's, yeah. that's one of those things you analyze analytically. That's what it should be. But we've seen enough times, even this season where that's what it should have been. And then the game starts and, you know, yeah. we just are completely flat and, and who, you know, and, and I don't know, who knows? Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Well, certainly I, I, uh, I hope we don't have a repeat of the Elche match because I think that was the, the match there was the one that was just, oh my God, you know, why do we, we just look totally um, uh, bored. <laughs> one, yeah. And you, you know, as a fan, you're wondering why did I even bother turning on my TV for this? Because this yes. is a complete waste of two hours of my time. Right. So hopefully this will, this will not be true on Saturday. Um, okay. <coughs> So looking ahead to Juventus, which I guess is the this is the big one. You've said all along that uh, that you thought we should be the favorites, and uh, both teams, I guess, uh, have been fighting the injury bug. Um, certainly, we have. Um, I'm don't know if Gerard will be available for this or not, but it seems to me the sort of match that um, Emery has probably been planning in his mind for a long time. Yeah. And Juventus is so interesting because they still have some talent, but this is just nothing close to, you know, the Juventus side that we've seen, um, in the, 
in recent years. This isn't a team that made two different finals. Um, mm-hmm. They they really lack a lot of um, consistent punch up front. I think they're fourth in Serie A right now, um, but they've got they've only got like the I think they've got like the sixth most expected goals so far this season. They're just not a whole lot of offense. They've still got some sound pieces. Um, no, no reason at all why we can't, you know, really like our chances in this matchup, especially with Emory planning ahead the way that he has. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the big the big question for me is just um, can we can we um, be effective um, and get a couple of goals um, in the in the home leg? Um, I I think it's going to be key to translate what we hope ought to be sort of control on the pitch into into goals um and that's where Gerard can can really help us out I think but but honestly if even if he isn't able to play I think the I think Emery should have some ideas of how to with LaCelso with um with uh, Dia back um we should have some ideas of how to of how to play play things. I think. Um, well, the the other thing the other thing that I think plays to our favor is um, their best player so far this season has probably been Weston McKinney. I mean, I'm I'm a little I'm a little biased as an American, right? But like uh, Weston McKinney has been fantastic this season. He's probably their most reliable player, and he's directly in the part of the pitch. Uh, where we probably have the most most strength and the most depth, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I think you know they they always talk about how you know something like boxing, how styles make fights, and I think this is one of this is a situation where um, what they do well isn't going to match up, shouldn't match up very well to what we do well, and that should give us an advantage. Mm-hmm. Right, the fact that we, the fact that we have we have strength in in midfield with. Um, with being able, if we can control that part of the pitch and keep dangerous play from from coming there um, to feed their strikers, then that you would think ought to help us quite a bit. Um, yeah, and they've been. I mean, as you say, it's not that they're a they're not terrible, obviously, or they wouldn't be here. But they're um, they they haven't really looked that that great um in in syria and they haven't um yeah they're not the team that they were um four or five years ago for sure um they they're coming off an away draw at atalanta so i don't know if that we um and that was an away draw they got a goal in injury time to pick up the point so you know, so I guess you can take from that either that, hey, we beat Atalanta there in a must-win game, so we should feel confident. Or the one thing about Juventus, at least in Serie A, is that they tend to get a lot of um, late goals and penalties in their favor. Um, <laughs> speaking as someone who's a fan of a different side in Italy, so so. Well, the the other thing about that is that I mean, so however you stack it up from them and they and Atalanta are very different stylistically, mm-hmm. but they're very similar quality wise. They're very similar quality teams. 
Um, you know, and we did we did beat Atalanta, and I don't think we were playing as well at that point in the season as we've been playing lately. Um, and and so there's nothing besides the history of their badge that should make us look and be nervous about this game. These are, you know, they, it's not. I don't know that we're going to go out and dominate them. Um, but th- th- there's nothing about them that should be um, scary or intimidating. In some ways, it's a sim- similar situation to when we played Arsenal last year, right? It's a it, mm-hmm. it's a famous club, but it's not a famous club at their peak. And if you can see past their badge, there's plenty of shortcomings in the team that we can take advantage of. Right. And I think the I think the thing that uh, I hope Emery learned from that was that when we were when we were dominating them and had two early goals to keep the foot on the gas <laughs> because <Yeah>. that was <laughs> that was uh you know he he went defensive a little too early and and uh, that almost cost us but it didn't in the What's end. interesting about it though is all of Emery's European success has been with the away goals in rule in place and he's always <laughs> been a master at manipulating the away goals rule to his favor Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that's not a factor anymore, and I'm really curious to see how that affects his approach, especially since we have the first leg at home. Um, if he just goes for it in the first match and then worries about you know the uh, a more cagey tactical result in the second leg, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to react. Yeah, I don't know either. But I think it's but I think it's it is interesting that the um, it makes it. It, it 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 does alter the dynamic quite a bit because you you tended to um, when the away goals rule was in place you would see a lot of teams that were kind of happy to get, to get a nil nil result on the road um, and, or or even a nil nil result at home and say oh well you know we um, they didn't get an away goal, and so we figure we can probably get one on the road, and then we'll we'll go through with a you know one one, but we got the away goal. Um, that's a that's different now, and it's and it's um, going to be interesting. It's another one of those changes where I suspect that coaches are still trying to figure out because this is the first series of knockout rounds. Um, without the away goals rule in place and a meaningful competition, I guess. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how how the the how the coaches like Emery who really uh, obsess over everything, um, how they approach this. Do do you like that they got rid of it or is it something you wish they'd kept? You know, I I I'm I'm so used to it, I wish they'd kept it, I guess. Because I because I think it's something that that I understand how it worked and I understand. And so, you know, watching football for years with that rule in place, I sort of understood how it worked. Now this is sort of different to me. And I'm, I'm, I, I get the argument for changing it, but I don't like the fact that ultimately you're going to have more extra time and penalties and that really becomes a crapshoot. So I guess I kind well, of like away goals. Yeah, I, it, to me, the extra time is is one of the bigger focuses on it because these players play so much football already, and, yes. and you know if that goes to 120 minutes, these guys still got to turn around and play again on the weekend. 
And, you know, I, I, so I don't like that. And then I also don't like the fact that, I mean, we saw, right, Carlo Ancelotti, who's won the Champions League, came out in Paris and just decided that he was going to play terrible park the bus football. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he won't be the only one that comes to that conclusion. And, yeah. you know, when there's no extra motivation to go score on the road, why not try to bottle up, you know, on the road and let your home fans push you to victory? I, yeah. You know, I, yeah. Especially knowing that that the second leg at home, if if it's um, if it is one one after 90 minutes, then you have another 30 minutes in front of your home fans. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't I kind of. I think that's the part of it that bothers me is that I just don't like um, extra time to me either, you know, it tires everybody out and either you get a result, if you get a result in extra time, then everybody's tired and those extra 30 minutes were played in only in one stadium. And if you, and on the contrary, the, the opposite way to look at it is sometimes you have extra time where it's almost as soon as it starts, everybody's playing for penalties. Right. And that's just boring. <laughs> well, and how many, how many goals that get scored in extra time are just, you know, one team just completely ran out of gas and you see a substitute that's fresh come running onto the pitch and just weave in and out of people because everybody else is exhausted. Mm-hmm. And that's not really, I, that's not the kind of thing I want to see ties decided by either. Like where, right. you know, oh, we just happen to have one more substitution laying around and can send this guy on when your people had already played a full football match. I don't, I don't. Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't like it. Um, but then I guess I'm, as I say, I'm used to the away goals rule. Um, yes, Emery was certainly uh, certainly has been a master of it. I mean, Pellegrini when when uh, Virial made it to the semis and um, was you look at you look at the same thing. I mean, we, we've tended to have coaches who managed the away goals rule very well. We we progressed un, we we progressed far more often than we were eliminated. I think. Speaking of Pellegrini, uh, they're they're having a whale of a match in Russia right now. Uh, Real Betis are beating Zenit three to two at halftime. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I see. Yeah. Okay. And Andres Guardado is even on the score sheet. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting that that we that's the team we we tend to play very well against. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I hope they go. I hope they go far in the Europa League because that may take. Uh, we need to catch them in the league. <laughs> well, and you know, and and in another La Liga scores, Barcelona are losing, and regardless of whether or not it helps us in the league, I'm happy about that. Right. Well, we'll see. <laughs> yes, we'll see how that how that goes as as we uh, go on. But yes, it was interesting to see Barcelona got a really tough draw. Of course, speaking of tough draws, if the original Champions League draw had stayed, we'd be kind of uh, not very happy right now. Right. Yeah. Man, Man City, what, it was like 3-0 after 20 minutes against Sporting Lisbon. I think that was, <laughs> that was pretty dreadful. And again, this is just, I guess, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit too old school when it comes to football because I don't like VAR and I want the away goals rule and I, I don't 
in, in Manchester City gets on my nerves. But it's like it it's hard for me as a neutral like there as a neutral fan, there have been plenty of teams that even though I didn't root for that team, I was like, oh man, they're just absolutely incredible to watch. Yeah. And I can't feel that way about Manchester City because it's like when you have pretty much access to pretty much unlimited 50 million euro transfers, right? Never mind that they went and got Jack Grealish for like a hundred million, but they can just stack on, you know, 300 million worth of fullbacks on one roster. Mm -hmm. Like to, to me, it's not elegant or impressive anymore that you are able to put together a side that plays dominating football. I, I just, I don't know. And and I don't want to get into the whole sports washing discussion of it, but at a certain point it just, okay, who cares that you can spend a billion euros and put together a good soccer team? Like it's almost more impressive to be a club like Barcelona who spent a billion euros and and failed to put together a good soccer team. (laughs) Right. You know, I don't know. That's just a minor rant of mine. Yeah, no, I hear you. Let's let's take a, a brief break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about our uh, stadium redevelopment that's going to happen at the Ceramica. So we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so um, we published an article today about it, and I guess it only really hit the local press um, earlier this week. But one of the things that the um, investment partners that that, um, partnered with La Liga did was they all the teams got money to invest in infrastructure, and very all are – have announced some stadium plans that are quite uh, quite interesting. I guess the goal is to make to make uh, the Ceramica eligible to host things like, say, the Super Cup in the in the um, August or whatever. Um, so it's kind of kind of interesting, given that I think for obvious reasons we're not inc- we're not increasing the capacity of the stadium, but we're going to make it enclosed pretty much all and and have. Um, covers over cover over all the seats, which having been there when there was a pouring rain is definitely a good thing to do. Well, and also, um, and you've, you've been there. I haven't, so you can comment on this, but uh, Jamie Kimball, who, if you don't follow, you definitely should, um, was saying in our group chat the other day that when the stadium's full, it can be very uncomfortable in there in terms of how close the seats are together. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things this is going to do is, same number of seats spread out over a bigger area, which should provide a better match-going experience. Yeah, I think my recollection is that, yes, there are definitely areas where where the seating is, is tight. Um, and I think it'll be a much nicer... Um, 
I, I have to confess, I will miss the the loss of the one corner with the right now has the club crest with all the tiles and everything, just because that's the last sort of really um, unusual part of the ground in that sense right. when you're when you're sitting in it, but. Um, but well, I shouldn't, it's not the last, the other unusual part, which I hope goes away in some fashion is the away end because that thing is so bizarre and it's empty most of the time. Um, one question that I don't, I haven't seen the, any architectural renderings or anything. So I don't know they were talking about some sort of, um, some sort of arch or something at that end. And I, and so I'm figuring they have to be taking down that crow's nest to do that because it's it's above the area the other stands are sort of at the same level so if you want to if you want to enclose it with a with a roof wrapping all the way around three stands you can do that but you can't do that with the fourth one unless you take off that top part um so well and and kind of listening to you talk there like i, I couldn't help but think because you know Building soccer-specific stadiums is a big thing here in the United States, but all the MLS teams are trying to get their soccer-specific stadiums. And mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. of these are around the same size as La Ceramica. They're about 24,000, 25,000 people. And, you know, I, I don't want to be cynical or a downer on the project, but in my experience, at the end of the day, a 25,000-seat covered stadium is a 25,000-seat covered stadium. Yeah. There, yeah. There, there's only there's not really a ton of different ways to do it. And and so kind of like you were saying, this probably this modernization probably does come at the expense of a little bit of the uniqueness uh, of going to a ground. Yeah, it probably does. Although although I think the thing that is that is really good, which we were also talking about a little bit on the group chat is that you know, you might say, well, instead of redeveloping La Ceramica, which is like the fourth time it'll have been redeveloped since <laughs> since we got promoted to the Primera the first time, I think. Um, you know, why why not build a purpose-built new stadium somewhere out of town? And of course, quite apart from the fact that you know, I don't know any, what land would be available, but I think one of the real special things about visiting the stadium is the sense that, you know, it is right in the middle of town. It's like, um, you know, everybody is walking to the ground. Everybody is, nothing is going on in the town while the game is going on <laughs> because everybody's at the at the game. And right. um, that that part will stay around. And I think that's, that's really good. I, I think it would be unfortunate if you were to uh, take the um, take a, a stadium that that had the history that it does and then say oh yeah we're just gonna get rid of that and you know and and do something else um, we've seen a lot of that over the years um, in in various countries and it's really disappointing when you look at some of the special grounds that we lost so I'm, so I'm happy the ceramica will stay around it'll still it'll still be very distinctive from the outside, I think. And um, one of the things that they've tried, I mean, Elisa and I were there in 2015. And since then, they did a lot of work to um, open up the area around the ground as much as they could. And now they'll be able to do even more of that because they bought more of the houses that were 
practically right up against um, one of the stands, and so it'll be a it'll it'll be a nicer um, experience, I think. One one of the things that Villarreal always seems to do really well as a club is to find ways to find a balance between um, the 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 successful club on the European stage while still being a community club at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, they they do that. You know, you see that with the way the roster is constructed. You've got a few guys that were bought for purpose, but you've got also got a lot of homegrown players still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that with a lot of the ways they do, um, you know, their academies and their relationships with their local clubs in the area and their focus and the fact that they've got a, a billionaire owner, but they still built it with a sustainable model. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think this kind of follows that same sort of overall philosophy where, you know, yeah, let's be a place where if they're hosting a, 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 a you know a super cup or something like that or possibly even like a you know a euros or a, a world cup match or something we're a place that might be considered for that but we're still going to be right in the middle of our community so that you know if those things come the people who benefit from it are the people who you know have have been with the club since way before they ever made it to the top flight right Right. Yeah, it's a very it's a very special um, it's a very special place and much different than um, I, I guess if, I was trying to think of any sort of equivalent for in English football. And you'd have to think of clubs that were and you have to go back years to do this, but teams that made it into the into the what was then the first division for a year, say, and then immediately right. went back down and were never seen again. Um and I think the thing that's been special about Villarreal is the fact that, you know, we have been able to stay at the top level almost, um, you know, for uh, without interruption for, you know, 25 years. So that's pretty impressive. And that's a testament, I think, to the to the management of, of the team. And um, I know Senior Raj, when he when he took over, said that um, it was a very easy transition for him because we are he already had the man there who would become his right hand man, um, Senior Juan Manuel Laneza. And the sad news this week is that Senior Laneza is in hospital. He's been diagnosed with uh, leukemia. And um, I forget his age, but he's in his he's in his seventies, and I know he's had um, some health problems before with you know heart stuff and everything. He had to lose a lot of weight, but I think everybody um, connected with the club and all the fans uh, there are really this is really sad news. Um, you know, I know I know he'll battle it hard, but that's that was sort of a real downer to get that news. Absolutely, absolutely. He's. Um... He is 73 years old, and um, he's been uh, around Villarreal in some capacity or another for 28 years at right. this point. Right, um, yep. So we, we, we certainly hope. And the, it, well, the announcement came today, but he was actually diagnosed a couple weeks ago. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. – um, and, and one of the other things I like about Villarreal is it can sometimes be frustrating when you're trying to figure out like player injury news. Um, but because of where they are and where they are in the ecosystem of Spanish football, you know, stuff doesn't get leaked out, you know, as soon as anybody thinks it. 
Um, so it seems like he was able to get his diagnosis, process his diagnosis, and then communicate with the the fans in the club. And um, but yeah, so we, we we certainly hope and pray that he's able to recover soon. Yes, I, he um, when when I went to um, our match back in well, it was our it was our essentially B team playing for the. Premier League trophy um, at, at Millwall against Eindhoven, and you know so you're, you're sitting there. I mean, he was very close to me, and 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 uh, he he reminded me of my mother because my mother was such a sports fan. You know, she would she would watch TV and she would get up and scream and yell and everything, and um, she she was completely oblivious to to what anybody else was doing, and he was that way as well. I mean, when we when we scored, he was he was just another fan, you know. Never mind that he was the the vice president of the team who had been there since you know since the early days. Um, he he just he loves he loves football, and, and you know you, you would always see him going to the B team matches, C team matches, anything he could get to because he just he just loves it. So. Um, yeah, I think we're all, we're all saying, uh, saying, um, prayers and hoping that he, um, pulls through this because he's, he's a great guy. And, uh, I know senior Raj has, has always said that the preceding management, the preceding owner had, had brought him in and once, and and once Senior Raj met him, he was like, "Okay, this I can work with this guy. This is going to be great." And of course, it has been. So, uh, I was someone posted a picture today of him of uh, Senior Cronesa with um, holding up the um, trophy at at uh, in Gdansk, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm really happy that that uh, that happened while well, he was." Well, he was healthy and and still still with us. So, hopefully, he pulls through. But you know, leukemia is is a tough thing, and I don't know. It sounded from his um, from his note to, to everybody that uh, his family is you know is all pulled together and, and is there with him. And so, hopefully, he'll he'll pull through this and be stronger than ever. Tough tough way to to kind of get towards the end of things on the podcast. But, I know, uh, but it, but it's, yeah, but it's, but it's, it's important. It's because it it's is. people, it's people like him that make the club special, that make it not just another, you know, corporation. Right. Uh, right. And so, you know, we, we really appreciate everything he's done for yes. the club. Yes. So anyway, on that, on that, uh, on that note, I guess we will we will end this podcast. We're we're thinking of you, Senor Hernandeza, and we're looking forward to the redevelopment of the stadium. Uh, I guess we're going to be playing at Levante um, in the in the fall. And the I, I I'm still unclear on how the um, calendar is going to work with the World Cup, but I guess the idea is that it, that our ground will be done so that once the World Cup is done, we'll be back at home. Um, and, and Levante Stadium is about forty-five minutes away, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, when they were when when they were redoing it, they played at our stadiums. So now we're redoing ours, and we're going to go play at this. Right, and I think it. And I think the two grounds are are also going to be kind of similar in in uh, style. From what I, I I think it it may be some of the same 
um, designers that are working for us as, as did their recent redevelopment. And, and the other thing is, I mean, for a lot of people, certainly for anybody planning to visit from, from overseas, you've got to go to Valencia first anyway. So now you'll be able to see <laughs> Virial play uh, um, in Valencia at Levante's ground. And in spite of the fact that Levante had a great win against Atleti this last week, um, they may be playing Segunda football next season. Yeah, we're, so. we're probably going to be the only top flight matches there next year, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunate. Which it, it really is unfortunate because there are some really nice things about that squad. They just yes. don't have any defense. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, I, I think they've waited waited a little bit too late to get to to get started. But uh, you know, if they could escape, that would be that would be great. So. World Cup next year goes from the 21st of November uh, through the 18th of December. Oh, okay, so we basically miss the first half of the season, um, and I'm sure we'll try to, to jig some of the some of the um, calendar too, so that we maybe have more home matches later in the year. I don't know. I don't know how that will well, work exactly. So we'll anyway, well, once we know more about that, we can we can. Uh, let people know, but La Liga is takes their time re- releasing the calendar anyway, and I'm sure this year it'll be even more complicated. So we just know that it'll be at two o'clock local time, whenever and wherever they are playing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it seems to be it seems to be the latest. Uh, seems to be seems to be the way it is this year. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Zach, and uh, wish you all the best. And in the Van Virial. <laughs>